This is a big win for democracy and a game changer for 2020. Good. I could use a big win for democracy. For a change. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP. Up in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans, which will not be hit by a hurricane this week on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico won't have a hurricane on KNIZ. There'll be no hurricane in Concord. Well, there could be in New Hampshire. Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas, definitely no hurricane for KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's. AM 950, plus no hurricane there either. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, who is not getting a hurricane, though she could have, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us uh, in a surprise development today. Uh, there is a whole bunch going on for a change. <laughs> so, yeah, hi, that's Desi Doyle. isn't it? Uh, hi, hello. how are you? I'm all right. Okay, good. Uh, so, as usual, we, uh, we remain, I guess, in triage mode as we have for much of the Trump administration, uh, picking and choosing among what we feel is the most important stuff that you need to know as measured against uh, how much you're likely to learn elsewhere today or something like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Well, it does to me, obviously. All right. <laughs> well, to that end, uh, we will be joined shortly by Dr. Bill Busa once again in North Carolina as three huge things are happening in the Tar Heel State seemingly all at once. Uh, number one, a huge victory for North Carolina voters that we reported on very briefly as the news broke in the last few seconds of uh, yesterday's broadcast regarding a big ruling by the state uh, superior court to toss out state House and Senate maps as unconstitutional partisan gerrymanders before the 2020 elections. That's big news. Number two, U.S. House elections for two different vacant seats are underway right now in North Carolina with Election Day on September 10. That's Tuesday. And one of those vacant seats is due to a GOP absentee ballot fraud scheme that left last November's race uncertified in that seat vacant this entire year. So the NC09 race will be a do-over election that Democrats hope to pick up 
in a longtime Republican district next Tuesday. Although all of that may depend on number three, a major hurricane that is bearing down for possible landfall in North Carolina in the next day or three that could disrupt those two U.S. House special elections. So we will have much to discuss with Bill Busa uh, as we uh, seem to ping pong back and forth between election controversies and uh, madness in the states of Georgia and North Carolina. A whole lot these days over yeah. the past several months for <laughs> some reason. Plenty to go around. I uh, suspect perhaps that's because both states are likely to be key battleground states in next year's presidential elections. So that makes them even more of a political hot potato than they already have been for many years. Anyway, we'll get to that in a moment. Speaking of Hurricane Dorian. Uh, it is creeping up the southeastern coast of the U.S. as we go to air and as millions have been ordered now to evacuate. Forecasters say near record levels are of storm surge are to be expected and that as many as 700,000 could find themselves without power in several states in the coming days. One of those states, North Carolina. The uh, non, also Georgia, by the way, the non-category, uh, I'm sorry, the now category two storm, which ravaged the Bahamas with more than a full day of death and destruction, devastating wind and rain. Many are leaving the, uh, are comparing the destruction that the storm has left behind to a war zone. Uh, now this storm threatens to swamp low-lying regions from Georgia to southeastern Virginia. As it skirts Florida and moves northward, Dorian appears likely to get dangerously close to Sh uh, Charleston, South Carolina, which is very vulnerable since it is located on a peninsula there. The National Weather Service projected a combined high tide and storm surge of about 10.3 feet at Charleston Harbor. In North Carolina, where authorities said an 85-year-old man has already died after falling from a ladder while getting his house ready for the storm, Governor Roy Cooper warned about the threat of storm surge and flash flooding from heavy rains. The outer banks in North Carolina, he said, are particularly vulnerable. At the same time, Georgia's coastal in, uh, islands were also at risk, according to the illegitimate governor of that state, Republican Brian Kemp. It's weaker, but it is bigger since it slammed the Bahamas with 185-mile-per-hour winds earlier in the week. It's now moving along Florida's coast at just nine miles per hour, so it's still moving very slowly, but with uh, sustained maximum sustained winds of 105 miles per hour. So larger storm, but weaker, but still deadly oh, at 105 miles per hour. Still extremely dangerous. And remember that these slow-moving hurricanes bring the risk of compound flooding because of the excessive rainfall of mm -hmm. parking and moving slowly. It means that it can dump more rain, which fills up the rivers, which try to drain into the ocean. But, oh, look, there's storm surge coming from the ocean. That is going to be a compound flooding event where the water comes from all sides and has nowhere to go. And this, as the warning now covers about 500 miles of coastline, some 3 million residents have been uh, told to get away before the water and the wind rise as the storm approaches. The Navy has ordered ships at its huge base in Norfolk, Virginia, to head out to sea for safety. Warplanes at Langley Air Force Base in Virginia have been moved inland to Ohio. 
And uh, utility companies say that Hurricane Dorian could leave hundreds of thousands without power in the southeast U.S. Duke Energy says the slow-moving storm could leave some 700,000 without power in eastern regions of North and South Carolina. Based on the current predictions for this very unpredictable storm, some outages, they say, could last for several days and are expected as far as 100 miles inland. Georgia Power says about 2,800 homes and businesses are already without power in some coastal areas. Uh, So uh, please stay safe out there anywhere along the eastern seaboard, including in uh, northeast Florida, where they're still having power outages and wind anywhere along the eastern seaboard over the next several days. I heard from our friend Nicole Sandler, who filled in for us last week. She's based in South Florida, says she's uh, doing fine, feels like they dodged a bullet there. Oh, yes. uh, With little more than just some occasionally gusty winds over the past 24 hours or so. But we've got a quick update in one of the stories that she covered for us. She's been following on this show, on the broadcast, while filling in for us over a few days uh, over this summer. Uh, She's had the uh, Playboy reporter Brian Karam, he's also CNN contributor, on the show a couple of times. First, after uh, he got in a bit of a kerfuffle at the White House uh, in the Rose Garden with, was it uh, uh, Sebastian Gorka? Over some ridiculous dumb thing, a ridiculous dumb event that Trump was holding for right-wing social media people. Yes, it was a so-called social media summit, but only extreme right-wing media outlets were invited. Were invited, right. And so uh, Brian Karam, he's the White House reporter for for Playboy, and uh, he got into this uh, scuffle with Sebastian Gorka, who uh, insulted him, and Karam insulted him back, and et cetera, et cetera. So she had, uh, Nicole had uh, Brian on. You can download it from bradblog.com, that original interview with him. I think it was the day after that uh, scuffle occurred. Well, a few weeks later, his hard pass, his hard pass access to the White House was taken away, temporarily suspended. In retaliation. In retaliation by the White House for a month. And uh, he went to court to sue. To get that hard pass back under things like, you know, the First Amendment, uh, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, and so forth. Well, he had his court hearing on Tuesday of this week, and Nicole spoke with him again just before that court hearing. Uh, Now we have the results of that court hearing. A federal judge ordered the White House to restore the press pass to Playboy's Brian Karam. Uh, in his opinion, District Court Judge Rudolph Contreras writes that Karam would likely succeed in challenging the White House's decision to temporarily suspend his press pass after he got in a uh, what became a viral verbal argument with uh, former White House aide Sebastian Gorka in the Rose Garden. Contreras wrote that while he understood the White House's desire to maintain degree a degree of control over access and decorum, White House passes were, quote, no mere triviality and taking one away was not a modest exercise of such control. In response, the press secretary, uh, Stephanie Grisham, Uh, The White House press secretary, Stephanie Grisham, who uh, is rarely seen, she told CNN that the White House disagreed with the court ruling, claiming it, quote, essentially gives free reign to members of the press to engage in unprofessional disruptive conduct at the White House. 
at Donald Trump's White House, speaking of unprofessional and disruptive. Uh, Karam told CNN the decision was great for the free press and that he would be at the White House on Wednesday morning, which, in fact, he was. All right, one more quick update, so good news there. One more quick update following that mass shooting in Texas over the weekend where a white American man with a semi-automatic rifle killed seven and injured more than 20 others in Midland and Odessa, Texas, before he was killed by police. Not to be confused with that other mass shooting in Texas just a few weeks earlier by a white American man with a semi-automatic rifle at a Walmart where he killed 22 and injured many others before being arrested by police. Well, the National Rifle Association, in a statement, has slammed Walmart for their announced changes to gun policies, calling them shameful that after a mass shooting at a Walmart just about uh, one month earlier. The statement from the NRA, the terrorist-enabling NRA, said, quote, it is shameful to see Walmart succumb to the pressure of the anti-gun elites. Lines at Walmart, they threatened, will soon be replaced by lines at other retailers who are more supportive of America's fundamental freedoms. Isn't one of America's fundamental freedoms to be able to sell or not sell whatever any store damn well pleases? The NRA attack on Walmart follows a decision by the company to end handgun sales, discontinue sales on certain types of ammo, and ask customers to pretty please not openly carry firearms in our stores. It also follows uh, the shooting uh, last month, not only in El Paso, Texas, that killed 22 people, but the subsequent panic at another Walmart store in Missouri a few days later when some jackass walked in wearing fatigues and carrying a long gun just to see what would happen. The uh, president and CEO of Walmart said in a letter to associates that we have been listening to a lot of people inside and outside our company as we think about the role that we can play in helping to make the country safer. It's clear to us that the status quo is unacceptable, though they're still going to, you know, sell guns and ammo, just not certain ones. And by the way, only after they sell out of their current supply, they will no longer sell short barrel rifle ammo. Uh, They will sell through their remaining inventory of handgun ammo, and they will discontinue handgun sales in Alaska, which is the last state where Walmart has continued to sell them. They stopped selling assault rifles in 2015, thank you, and raised the age to purchase guns from 18 to 21 just last year in 2018. Uh, Which, of course, was also shameful, I'm sure, to the NRA, who thinks it's outrageous that toddlers aren't able to buy semi-automatic assault rifles as well. Because, you know, the only thing that stops a bad toddler with an assault rifle is a good toddler with an assault rifle. Am I right, NRA? In related news, the huge Kroger grocery store chain has also called on customers to pretty please refrain from openly carrying firearms in its stores, joining Walmart in uh, changing its policy. Jessica Aldman, the group vice president of corporate affairs, told CNBC that Kroger is respectfully asking that customers no longer openly carry firearms into our stores. 
I guess they, too, should be expecting a nasty letter from the NRA any moment, calling on their members to avoid not only shopping at Walmart, as they did in their shameful statement calling Walmart shameful, and suggesting gun owners will boycott by going to, quote, other retailers who are more supportive of America's fundamental freedoms. Well, I guess those folks should also not shop at Kroger anymore. Kroger stores... I guess the NRA uh, members, if they can't get any food at Walmart or Kroger, they're just going to have to starve to death at this rate. No comment on that, Desi Doyen. (laughs) But as far as uh, other news that matters on this point today, we're learning more about the shooter in the Midland Odessa shooting and that he purchased his gun via a private sale with no background check after he failed a federal background check. He uh, failed that check, apparently, due to a, quote, mental health issue. As law enforcement officials told the AP, the now-deceased shooter had tried to purchase a firearm in January of 2014. He was denied. Because of that, uh, private sales, which some some estimates suggest account for 25 to 40 percent of all gun sales. So 25 to 40 percent of all gun sales are private sales, which by law are not subject to a federal background check in the U.S. This is the so-called gun show loophole. It means that Americans can buy a gun from an individual. They can get one bequeathed from a relative. They can obtain one online from various marketplaces and, yes, from some dealers at gun shows, all without needing to go through a federal background check. So when Donald Trump tells you we already have very strong background checks, well, maybe for everybody except the 25 to 40 percent of gun owners who don't go through a background check when they buy them. So when you hear all this talk about the the gun show loophole for background checks, they're talking about all of these various ways that Americans or non-Americans, by the way, can buy guns in the U.S. without any background check whatsoever. And that is what the GOP has been blocking in Congress, closing that gaping loophole where tens of thousands of guns trade hands with no background check whatsoever. That at the demand of the GOP paymasters at the terror-loving NRA. Uh, Gun rights advocates have pushed back against efforts to Uh, mandate background checks for all such sales, arguing that criminals will still get their hands on a firearm regardless of what laws are on the books, which is true. But then why not get rid of all background checks? I guess, you know, I shouldn't say that too loudly or else the NRA and the Republicans will start calling for that. Yeah, sure. Criminals will still get guns, maybe, but maybe we'll stop a few people who shouldn't have them because of their criminal background or because of their mental health background. Gun safety advocates argue that the lack of a background check makes it too easy for the wrong people to skirt background checks and get a gun. For example, one well-known Internet site for firearm sales has listed some 1,700 long guns for sale right now in Texas alone. Those all available to anyone with no background check whatsoever nor a registration, nor a license needed, etc. Now, uh, to me, what is most maddening here 
is not that Congress won't take action because the Democratic House uh, uh, House majority, uh, Democratic majority in the House already has done so. But what makes me furious is that Republicans who control the Senate will not even allow a vote on it because they know and the NRA knows that they would lose. So instead of holding a vote, an up or down vote on this, they're blocking a vote. They're blocking the will of the people. They are blocking democracy and they don't give a damn. So really, this is not about my opinion on guns or anyone else's. This is about democracy and the people's opinions, which are not being represented in Congress thanks to the Republicans who have gamed the system to avoid democracy. And things like an up or down vote on what the vast majority of even NRA members support, which is background checks for all gun sales, the lowest hanging fruit when it comes to any sort of gun safety reform. It is supported by about 90 percent of the public and even about 80 percent of NRA members support this. And yet it is being blocked by the Republicans who hate democracy when you cannot win by democracy when you in fact hate it you game the system and that's exactly what republicans have been doing in congress and in states around the country now for many years so this isn't about a policy disagreement this is about gaming democracy gaming our system of governance and they're doing it all over the country. And nowhere are they doing it more so than in the great state of North Carolina, where they have been doing it now for the past decade. Well, as of a huge state court ruling on Tuesday night, however, it may it may have just gotten a little bit harder for Republicans to do that in the Tar Heel state. Dr. Bill Busa in North Carolina with a storm bearing down and two big special elections at the very same time, joins us next to discuss all of the above on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. 
Yeah, we got a lot of Americans riding the storm out over the next few days, um, and many of them in North Carolina. But let me start here. In the 2018 so-called blue tsunami election, Democratic candidates for the North Carolina State House of Representatives received 51 percent of the overall vote in the state. That compared to just 49 percent of North Carolinians who voted for Republican candidates, 51 to 49 in favor of Democrats. Nonetheless, thanks to GOP gerrymandering of state legislative district maps, Republicans currently hold 65 seats in the state house to the Democrats, 55. In other words, Dems won a majority of the vote and ended up with a vast minority of the legislative seats. And that was in a blue wave election following years of GOP supermajorities in North Carolina, thanks to those gerrymanders. Moreover, those partisan gerrymandered maps used in last November's elections were were new ones that the court had ordered to be redrawn in 2017 after the previous maps were found to be unconstitutional racial gerrymanders. The GOP instead redrew them in 2017 as unconstitutional partisan gerrymanders, uh, which was found by federal courts to be unconstitutional. They ordered those maps to be redrawn before 2018, but that court order was blocked and then killed by the Republicans' stolen majority on the U.S. Supreme Court, which, in a 5-4 to four opinion, declared that federal courts could no longer have any say at all when it came to the partisan gerrymandering by states. That opinion applied to similarly gerrymandered state maps uh, as determined by lower federal courts in states like Wisconsin and Maryland and Michigan as well. The high court's ruling at the end of their session in early summer this year left the gerrymandered maps in place in North Carolina and the other states uh, also had to use those maps last year, last November. But finally, as we noted at the very end of yesterday's broadcast, the North Carolina State Superior Court came out late on Tuesday with its own ruling regarding these gerrymandered maps in North Carolina, and they struck down the GOP gerrymanders in the state as a violation of the state constitution. On Tuesday, as Stephen Wolf, the elections expert over at Daily Coast Elections reports, a three-judge panel delivered a major blow against Republican gerrymandering when it struck down North Carolina's state Senate and House districts for violating the rights of Democratic voters. In the Senate, 21 of 50 districts must now be redrawn. 56 of 120 House districts were also invalidated. The state court ruled these maps designed to entrench Republican rule ran afoul of the state's constitutional guarantee of free and fair elections. Specifically, according to the 357-page ruling by a united three-judge panel, Uh, consisting of two Democrats and one Republican. The current maps adopted by the legislature after its previous maps were found to be illegal racial gerrymanders violated the state constitution's free election clause, the equal protection clause, the free speech clause, and free assembly clauses. Using their control of the General Assembly, legislative defendants, that would be the Republicans, manipulated district boundaries to the greatest extent possible 
to control the outcome of individual races so as to best ensure their continued control of the legislature, according to the court's ruling. The state court, heavily citing the U.S. Supreme Court's June opinion, concluded that the North Carolina Constitution gave the state courts the authority to review the maps for partisan gerrymandering, writing, quote, if unconstitutional partisan gerrymandering is not checked and balanced by judicial oversight, legislators elected under one partisan gerrymander will enact new gerrymanders after each decennial census, entrenching themselves in power anew decade after decade. Exactly the argument that we have been making on this show and we have been criticizing the U.S. Supreme Court for failing to take action here and leave it to state legislatures. If fairer districts are in fact implemented in North Carolina for 2020, as now ordered by the court, that could put Democrats in striking distance of a majority in one or both chambers. In the very closely divided battleground state where GOP supermajorities have existed nonetheless for much of the past decade, thanks to one gerrymandered map after another. Importantly, because this case was litigated solely under North Carolina's state constitution, the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling earlier this year, which is a false and terrible ruling, I should add, finding that the U.S. Constitution somehow prohibits challenges to partisan gerrymandering, that ruling did not present an obstacle to the plaintiffs in this state-based case. And for the same reason, this decision should be insulated from federal review, according to Stephen Wolf, much like the ruling from the Pennsylvania Supreme Court last year that replaced a Republican congressional gerrymander with a much fairer map in the Keystone State. Republican legislative leaders unexpectedly announced that they will not appeal this ruling, meaning that North Carolina will soon have new legislative maps. The lower court gave the GOP-run legislature until September 18, just about two weeks or so from now, to draw legal districts for use in 2020. In handing down the decision, the judges announced they would immediately appoint a nonpartisan expert to assist them in reviewing any replacement maps that come from the GOP legislature, who will be allowed yet again to draw these maps. The ruling on Tuesday by the three-judge panel in Raleigh has the potential to bring a decisive end to a years-long battle over gerrymandering in a critical swing state and indicated that state courts could now act to rein in patently partisan electoral maps after the Supreme Court ruled that federal courts could not do so. Democrats and the voting rights advocacy groups who challenged the maps in North Carolina were giddy according to the New York Times, over what they depicted as a vital victory for fair electoral maps. Bob Phillips, the executive director of Common Cause North Carolina, which filed the suit, said this is a huge win, particularly for the voters of North Carolina, just to know that this entire decade they have never had an opportunity to actually vote for legislators in constitutional districts. And the effects of the ruling could go beyond state legislative maps. Stanton Jones, the lead lawyer for the plaintiff, said that the principle of the decision also would be applicable to the congressional map for the House of Representatives in North Carolina. But he said that a new lawsuit would be required to overturn it. And all of this 
comes down this week as two U.S. House elections are currently underway in North Carolina for two vacant seats, one of them a do-over election after the State Board of Elections refused to certify a contest last year in the 9th Congressional District due to a Republican absentee ballot election fraud scheme there. And the other seat will fill the seat uh, left vacant by the late Republican Congressman Walter Jones in the 3rd Congressional District. Election Day is next Tuesday, September 10, in the Tar Heel State, as yes, Hurricane Dorian is now bearing down for a potential landfall in North Carolina over the next day or two or three. Joining us now, once again, help us digest all of the storms now crashing down on the great state of North Carolina, which has been frankly battered by storms, both literal and political now for the past decade, is Dr. William Busa. He is a North Carolina-focused campaign consultant. He is better known as Doc Dog over at Daily Coast. He's also founder of EQV Analytics, a campaign data analysis firm, and he is the founder of ncgovote.org's Reg Watch system, which really helpfully uh, helps state voters learn when their voter registration has been changed for reasons either legitimate or nefarious. Dr. Bill Busa, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Hi, Brad. Thank you. All right, Doc Dog, I've got a lot to ask you about today. Uh, as Hurricane Dorian is bearing down, along with those two important House elections at the same time, but as I suspect... You may be one of those giddy voting rights advocates today in North Carolina following Tuesday's ruling by the state superior court. Let's start there. Uh, exactly how giddy are you, Bill Busa? <laughs> you know, as I was reading the 257-page tome... That Three! Is 300! 357! Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I was pretty encouraged because it, it's so brilliantly written and it's so carefully thought through. This was a court that clearly has had it up to here with the GOP's 10 years of obstruction of justice mm -hmm. in this matter. And they just detailed in, in painful detail mm -hmm. what, the, what the legislators can and can't do. You know, if you're the parent of a six-year-old, you sometimes find yourself saying dumb things like, don't fill your father's shoes with mashed potatoes. But that was kind of the level of instruction which the court gave the legislature. Things you can't do, things you can do, things you must do, all lined out, if followed to the T, uh -huh. will yield an exceedingly fair set of maps for 2020. And that's extremely exciting, obviously. Uh, uh and how big a deal really is this now? I mean, I know you guys haven't had fair maps for a decade, despite court case after court case. But if this moves forward, as you suggest, the court was, you know, speaking very clearly about what they expected from these new maps. Uh, if these new maps are put in place, uh, how big a deal is this as far as the effect it is likely to have on the state legislature there? Well, it'll level the playing field. And, and given the current state of the electorate's sympathies, I think on a fair playing field, Democrats can probably retake the uh, House and maybe the Senate. The really? House and Senate. It could be possible. I mean, as you pointed out, we, we won the vote. Mm -hmm. We just didn't win the map. Well, if we win the map, we can win the vote again, and then we'll, we'll have the whole shooting match. But, you know, in the immortal words of Pee Wee Herman, everybody has a big butt. Uh, <laughs> my butt is 
when Senator Berger said, well, you know, okay, the GOP is not going to uh, appeal this decision, and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll hunker right down and draw those maps, yes, Your Honor, there's a catch there. And smart money says that the state GOP is going to try to get a constitutional amendment uh, initiative mm-hmm. on the ballot in 2020 that would legalize, that would render constitutional political gerrymandering. So this may be a very temporary wow. victory, not a permanent one. We, we'll just have to wait and see. Well, yeah, you know, because I was I wanted to ask you about that because a lot of people said they were surprised that they were not appealing this. It actually doesn't seem like much of a surprise given this, uh, the fact that the state Supreme Court is, uh, what is it, six to one Democrats to Republicans now? Yeah. And they... They wouldn't have stood a chance taking it to the state Supreme Court. Which, by the way, I think also underscores, you know, in, in North Carolina, the uh, state Supreme Court, those are elected justices. It kind of gives you an idea how out of balance uh, these maps have been, that Republicans have held super majorities in the uh, state House and Senate for much of the past decade. And yet when voters can vote statewide, well, they ended up electing six to one uh, Democrats on the uh, on the on the state Supreme Court. But so if, if that's the, one of the reasons they didn't appeal, you suggest there could be a ballot initiative. What sort of ballot initiative could they put on the ballot that would allow them to undermine the state constitution and, and illegally uh, partisan gerrymander the state? Well, bear in mind that a state constitutional amendment, by definition, doesn't undermine the state constitution. It okay. becomes a part of the state constitution. Right. So it could be as simple as a one-sentence one uh, amendment that says partisan gerrymandering is A-OK. <laughs> well, yeah, but be careful what you wish for, because on that same, in that same election in 2020, Bill, you say that Democrats could take back the House and potentially the Senate. They've already got a Democratic governor now. That could mean that they're saying, okay, fine, we allow the Democrats to do partisan gerrymandering across the entire state for the next decade after the 2020 census, no? That's exactly what they have to factor into this decision. And personally, I think for any number of reasons, it would be a really stupid move for the Republicans. Also because it would it would further energize Democratic voters. I think there'd be a real, oh, hell no, you don't backlash <laughs> to having a constitutional amendment like that put on the ballot. Well, we'll see what they do, because North Carolina, sort of in tandem uh, over the over recent years with Wisconsin and maybe Michigan, has sort of been, uh, as I see it from out here, Bill, uh, sort of a national GOP laboratory for how to strip voters of rights and grab power from elected Democrats and or keep them from being elected in the first place. Now, after Democratic Governor Roy Cooper ousted Republican Governor Pat McCrory in 2016, the uh, Republican legislature there, they then still had their supermajority. They did all manner of things to strip power from the governor. Do you suspect those things will, in fact, be undone if Democrats can win back a majority in one or both houses uh, under fair maps next year? I would suspect so. You know, the one place where the North Carolina Constitution falls down in comparison to the U.S. Constitution is it gives enormous power to the legislature and really surprisingly little power to the governor. And, and the Republicans kind of played on that weakness to strip pretty much all power from the governor. And mm-hmm. clearly, you know, we, we need a three-branch government. So uh, I would suspect that Democrats would be pretty eager to 
reset the balance. Now, uh, I mentioned that the uh, attorney in this case said that this ruling could very easily apply to U.S. House seats, which have also been partisan gerrymandered in North Carolina. Uh, last, what was it, I think, three, did Democrats, I think Democrats also outvoted Republicans last November in 2018 for U.S. House seats, uh, or it was pretty close, did they not? Gosh, I don't have that number at hand. Right. Um, you, caught, you caught me on that. Well, one. <laughs> I know that it, I know that it was very close. Uh, but no matter how close, whether they won by a little or lost by a little, if my numbers are correct here, there's a 13 seat U.S. House delegation in uh, in North Carolina. Democrats yep. only hold three of the seats currently because of the gerrymandering. Yep. No, it's clear that we would we would win additional U.S. House seats under under fair congressional maps. Yes. Is there time to do that now before the twenty twenty House uh, general elections next year? So I am not an attorney, but attorneys I know kind of chuckle and shake their heads when you ask them that question. No, they probably not. They shake their heads. No. So we may still be stuck with these uh, outrageously gerrymandered. U.S. House seats in North Carolina next year. I'm afraid so, for one more cycle. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, they might. Uh, Democrats may be able to pick up at least a fourth seat out of the 13-seat contingent now <laughs> with these elections coming up on Tuesday as the hurricane bears down. Now, Bill, are, first, are you and your family in a safe area in North Carolina, depending on how Dorian uh, may roll this week? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're 200 miles away from the ocean. We're going to get maybe an inch of rain and have some nice kite flying weather. Okay, that sounds nice. Uh, with that in mind, uh, one of these districts, I think, North Carolina 3, is it, is is actually on the coast. So what is the current state of NC3 and NC9, the, the U.S. House races, the only two currently vacant seats in the U.S. House, I believe, with voting uh, early voting now underway before the election next Tuesday and the hurricane bearing down. Yeah, so NCO3 is not only on the coast, it, it encompasses essentially all of the coast of North Carolina. So it's at high risk right now. And uh, several of the counties, I think probably most of the counties in NCO3, have already announced that they are closing county offices at the end of the business day today, which means that uh, there will be no more early voting in, NC, in NCO3. There, there should be you know, Thursday and Friday left to vote. But today is NCO3 voters' last chance to do early voting. Now, it also remains unclear what the consequences will be for Election Day itself. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of damage in coastal areas of the, uh, of the district. It may not be possible to hold Election Day on September 10th, as originally scheduled. In that case, the executive director of the State Board of Elections, your favorite friend. Oh, of mine. my friend! Yeah, we'll get, to, we'll get to him in a second. But go ahead. No, no, yeah. no. This is this is this is the this is the civil servant executive director, oh, not okay. the not the chairman. Okay. Uh, okay. Anyway, the executive director is empowered in cases of natural disasters or extremely inclement weather to reschedule or change election schedules as she sees fit and as circumstances require. So it's possible that, you know, we might have election day in October mm-hmm. or November. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's going to be messed up, but it'll finish 
sooner or later. Well, that's the third congressional district. I suppose there is, is it possible that that one gets uh, moved off till September or till October, November, but that the ninth congressional district is that in a safer area of the state where they could hold the election at long last after the seat has been vacant for uh, the entire uh, past year since last November. Yeah, I've been poring over weather maps, which <laughs> for their political implications uh-huh. for the last couple of hours here. And NCO9, where we have uh, Dan McCready, a great Democratic candidate, facing off against alt-right Dan Bishop. NCO9 is a very long, snaking, uh, gerrymandered mm-hmm. district, which runs from the suburbs of Charlotte in the west uh, down into majority-minority counties like Bladen in the east. Bladen mm-hmm. was the site, of course, of the election fraud perpetrated mm-hmm. by the GOP in 2018. Yeah. And that brings the Bladen end of the district pretty close to the ocean. Uh, I think it's Mm. about 50 miles away from the ocean. Mm. And it leaves the Republican end of the district, Charlotte, about 200 miles away from the ocean, where they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna get a tenth of an inch of rain out of this thing. Uh-huh. So I I don't think that the election will be delayed. I mean, it could be, but I don't think right now that it'll be delayed in NCO9. Mm-hmm. But what's going to happen is that the folks in the majority minority uh, counties of the district are going to see six, seven, eight inches of rain, and the folks in the uh, Republican end of the district are going to see a tenth to a half of an inch of rain. That's clearly going to have a differential impact on voter turnout, both in the last two days of early voting and on Election Day itself. So Hmm. that's a big concern right now. Yeah, that is a very big concern because you did uh, Dan McCready, who almost uh, won last November in that election that was never certified. He might have actually won had it not been for the uh, GOP election fraud there. It looked like he was doing well. You've been tracking at EQV Analytics the early voting, the early turnout in, in I think, both of these races. Uh, You said the uh, turnout for Democrats in NC9 was pretty high as of now? The Democratic turnout in NCO9 has been astonishing this year. Overall, turnout is way down compared mm-hmm. to the 2018 election, because that always happens in special elections. Right. People just don't show up. But when you look at the share of voters, the fraction of voters who are Democrats versus mm-hmm. the fraction of voters who've turned out already who are Republicans, and compare those percentage shares to 2018, Democrats have a 10-point lead over Republicans in their share right now versus a four-point lead that they had at the same point in early voting in 2018. So they're doing fabulously well. When they they almost won in 2018. They had a four-point share early. When they they missed it by a hair and there was enormous election fraud going on. Now, without election fraud, I think it's very plausible that Democrats can win this thing if the hurricane doesn't do its own election fraud. We'll have to see about that. Oh, man. And, Even and, the weather is gerrymandered. Yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, what is Pat McCrory behind it? Well, you know, because Pat McCrory used to be, uh, what was he, the CEO of Duke Energy, as I recall, the well, former Republican yeah, governor? The vice president, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I, I noticed that uh, Duke Energy put out a warning today that some 700,000 could be without power in the Carolinas over the next few days, depending on how uh, the storm rolls. It, 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 do, you, do you know the type of voting systems they use in um, in these two uh, districts? Are, are we concerned 
this is a wonderfully ironic point that you raise. Uh, Mecklenburg County, which is the Charlotte wedge where most of the Republicans live in NCO9, Mecklenburg County is the biggest holdout in the state in terms of just swearing by electronic voting machines. They don't want to have anything to do with paper ballots. So if the power goes off, it's Mecklenburg County voters, (laughs) GOP voters, who won't be able to vote. (laughs) Now, I'm not laughing because GOP voters aren't going to be able to vote. I'm laughing because it's just incredible how many elements seem to be coming down. You know, we go back and forth. We joke on this show. We sort of, you know, go back and forth between Georgia and North Carolina. We ping pong back and forth between these two states because both of them are such a mess in in one sense and so important and closely divided in another sense that all of these little elements uh, end up having huge uh, ramifications. How how about NC3 now, which I know that that is likely going to go Republican, but have you been able to tell anything from early voting in that particular race to fill the seat uh, left by the late Walter Jones? You know, all all the folks we have at EQV have been dealt so much data to to deal with Mm -hmm. and and so many projects to assist with that we had to make the hard decision. We're just going to follow 09 closely. We're not going to follow 03 closely because we don't have the manpower. Well, we're going to be so therefore we're going to be blind going into uh, North Carolina 03. But that's okay because there's a hurricane that's probably going to cancel that election anyway. (laughs) Well, not cancel it, but but, uh, set it back. Yeah, (laughs) I guess so. All right. uh, Finally, uh, Bill Busa, last time we had you on, it was just days before uh, a vote by the State Board of Elections which we uh, referenced uh, a moment ago, on on new voting systems for a big swath of uh, North Carolina where it looked like the state's 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems would finally be replaced with verifiable hand-marked paper ballots. However, the (laughs) newly appointed uh, chair of the Board of Elections, appointed by the Democratic governor, Roy Cooper, that guy voted against uh, this measure that would have brought us hand-marked paper ballots, clearing the way now for new 100% unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking devices. So uh, two questions for you, Doc Dog. A, you told us that this newly appointed Democratic chairman was a good guy and that he was going to do the right thing. And he didn't. And B, because it was a three to two vote. If he had voted the other way, we would have paper ballots. And B, is there any is there still any way for uh, North Carolina to block these uh, new touchscreen systems before the 2020 presidential elections in a state that I should underscore is so closely divided that it barely elected Barack Obama in 2008. It barely elected Mitt Romney in 2012. It elected Donald Trump in 2016, but on the very same ballot elected the Democratic governor in that statewide vote. That's how close all of this is. So you, you take your pick from those two questions, Ms. Dr. Busa. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll just glide over my predictions of the last time I was on here. You mean uh, when you I, were wrong about that he was a good guy and he was going to get this one right? Okay, we'll glide past that one. Right, that's the All one, right. yeah. All right. okay. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. it would seem to me that at this late date, there's not a lot that can be done to reverse the Board of Elections decision. But I should point out that it gets worse. Actually, the uh, state legislature, again, the GOP-controlled state legislature, 
is considering rolling back the required deadline for decertifying all the old, demonstrably insecure machines. They were supposed to be decertified by the end of this year. Uh, the GOP is now driving a, uh, a bill to roll back that decertification deadline past the 2020 election. So things could get even worse. We could not not merely be using unverifiable mm -hmm. uh, machines. We could be using machines that have already been shown to be eminently yeah. hackable. Yeah, but you know what? Let me dissent from that uh, thought, uh, Bill. In fact... Uh, we do know those uh, current machines are absolute failures and unverifiable, but so are the new ones. And oh, yeah. if yeah, they absolutely. actually push back that deadline, it might give uh, opponents or I should say proponents of, you know, fair, verifiable elections some more time to challenge those crappy machines, because I promise you they are going to be failing all over the country next year in 2020 and maybe it'll give uh, North Carolina a chance to have a second thought on that and, and change their mind. I think that might not be a bad thing, uh, Bill. But That would be great if it works out that way. I, I'm, I'm skeptical that there's time for that to happen before mm -hmm. 2020. At this point, my expectations are so lowered, I would just be happy for us to be using machines that are running Windows 7 rather than Windows 3. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, no, I don't think it's going to happen before 2020, but, uh, you know, if they push it back and allow them to use these things for one more election, that might uh, buy time for the uh, hand-marked paper ballot proponents, uh, which could ultimately uh, be a good thing. But nonetheless, uh, we'll have you on again where you can hold me accountable for that prediction, if I get it wrong, uh, just, just to be fair, Dr. Bill Busa, you can find his work over at DailyCoast.com under the pseudonym Doc Dog. He writes great stuff over there. And, of course, over at EQVanalytics.com and on the Twitters at Analytics EQV uh, as the storm and the elections and the controversies all move forward. I suspect we'll be shouting out to you again, Bill, in the not-too-distant future. Thanks, Brad. Really appreciate you joining us. Okay, uh, speaking of bad maps, Desi Doyen, did you see Donald Trump's hurricane map? Oh, my that God. That he showed at the White House on Wednesday? Unbelievable. That story is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, we're speaking about Alabama. And uh, this is, you know, it was on all the late night shows, so I'm sure you've seen it where Donald Trump was going around, uh, had tweeted that Alabama was at threat of being hit by Hurricane Dorian. Which it was not. Which it was not. The National Weather Service had to come out after his tweet and to say, uh, quote, Alabama will not see any impacts from Dorian. We repeat, no impacts from Hurricane Dorian will be felt across Alabama. 
from the National Weather Service. That's the Federal National Weather Service had to correct the president. And yet, even after that correction, Trump then went outside, talked to reporters on the lawn and said, in fact, uh, in addition to Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia and Alabama will be hit much harder than anticipated. All of that was not true. He said it again that uh, Alabama is going to get a piece of it. Then he was at a FEMA a a briefing and he said uh, the hurricane may get a little piece of a great place. It's called Alabama. None of that was true. And yet he kept saying it over and over again and could not let it go. And apparently he still cannot let it go. According to NBC News today, after days of claiming without evidence that Alabama was projected to be hit by a, by Hurricane Dorian, Donald Trump displayed a doctored map in the Oval Office on Wednesday that showed Alabama to be within the storm's path. This was a map that was uh, put out by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, last week, a week ago, showing the hurricane's projected path cutting through central Florida. But this map had something else where the original projected uh, projection had ended in and around Florida. This map had a black circle drawn in a Sharpie by hand that was produced to include Alabama in the model. Now, who uses a black Sharpie all the time? Who might have? And it was clearly drawn onto the map. And then he kept going on about it. He said, well, I, we, we had our original chart that was, it was going to end up hitting Florida directly. It was going to be hitting directly. That would have affected a lot of other states. He says, I know that Alabama was in the original forecast. They thought it would get a piece of it. We have a better map. In all cases, Alabama was hit, if not lightly, in some cases pretty hard. They gave it a 95% chance. But Donald Trump was unable to produce any such map. So he just took the oldest one he could find and made his own with a Sharpie. When he was asked about the discrepancies with the original map, which this clearly was not, he said, I, I don't know. I don't know. Couldn't let it go. This is nuts. Had to put out some disinformation that could actually harm people. Now, it's all kind of funny, and it is, even though it's insane, but I, and I hadn't realized this, that, but apparently disseminating, knowingly disseminating false weather reports is against federal law. 18 U.S. Code 2074 reads, whoever knowingly issues or publishes any counterfeit weather forecast or warning or of weather conditions falsely representing such forecast or warning to have been issued or published by the Weather Bureau, U.S. Signal Service, or other branch of the government shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 90 days or both. I'm sure that the Department of Justice will get right on that. Add it to the impeachment list, which, by the way, is... I think coming up in the next month or two. We will talk about that on our next thrilling broadcast. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Dr. William Busa of EQV Analytics, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is thanks to those of you listeners who are generous and thoughtful enough to stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us do what we try to do every day on the air without fear or favor or commercial interruptions. 
bradblog.com slash donate. You can find me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad Blog, or drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. That is it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, Alabama. Sweet home.